The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your, your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of God for the people of God. All the sermons this month will be building on the work we began last month, looking at how Jesus teaches us about discipleship, what the Bible says to us about how we are to be faithful followers of God's leading as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to try to have a fuller comprehension and grasp of what Jesus is teaching in terms of our own discipleship and particularly how we deal with other people, how we interact with other of God's children. We'll be utilizing the Wesleyan quadrilateral. If you are not a Methodist, you maybe are not familiar with that. I have put some information in your outline to help you with that. There's four parts of that. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason are the four parts that make up the quadrilateral. Now, as Methodists, this helps us make decisions and think theologically. We start with Scripture, and then we also, though, look at what the... Christians before us have said and done and written. We'll be looking at some of that today. And then we think about and see how that applies to our own experience and then using the minds that God has given us, we use our reason to try to put all that together in terms of what God is saying to us in particular, how God is leading us and how we're to follow Christ as a disciple. I think you'll find that as we go through these biblical accounts in this month of September, that you'll be stimulated that you'll be challenged some in terms of how you live your life of discipleship dr amy odin was one of our lecturers not so long ago in our lecture series she's come out with a new book recently called god's welcome 
She points out in that book, and her area is early church history, that the literature of the early church is filled with use of this passage from Genesis about Abraham and Sarah welcoming strangers. She says it is a foundational piece of the life of early Christians. She says early Christians saw in this story the marks of hospitality that they were to offer to the world. She calls it gospel hospitality, and she says people are hungry in our world to know more about God, and she wants to help us figure out how we might more effectively share the gospel with them. She says there's four marks of this gospel hospitality that she sees in the works of the early church. We'll be using the four marks as a framework for us this month. I've put them in your outline as well. They are readiness, risk, recognition, and repentance. Today we're dealing with readiness. The story from chapter 18 of Genesis tells us about Abraham and Sarah. Now they're living in the desert. They have a tent. They have a tree, which is rare in the desert. They seem to be doing fine. But they have these strangers approaching. And then this story tells us how they deal with those strangers. I think it might help us think about how we might deal with strangers who come our way. Let's see what we can learn. There's four things here this morning I want us to think about. First, we see that Abraham is ready. He is ready when they come. Look again in verse 1, if you still have your Bible open there. It says that he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, he could have been in the shade. He might have been inside. He might have been doing any number of things, but he's sitting there and ready. Then in verse 2, it says when he saw them, when he saw these strangers, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. Now, our biblical and historical scholars say this would be uncharacteristic of someone like Abraham to run out to greet strangers. It might have been seen as inappropriate or off-putting, even offensive to have such an eager greeting in that day and time, and yet that's what Abraham does. He runs out. He's paying attention to his surroundings, and when he sees their strangers or people coming, he springs into action. Dr. Oden tells a story in her book about the early church and how they used this. She says it's important for them, this part about paying attention. She tells the story of a student who was a, a new person in a monastery, and he was trying to learn how to be closer to God, and his teacher or mentor was giving him different spiritual practices. He was struggling with those. So one day he asked his teacher, is there any way I can make myself be closer to God? And his teacher says, no more than you can make the sun rise in the morning. He thinks a little more about it. Then he says, why these spiritual practices? Why are you teaching me these spiritual practices of prayer? And the wise teacher says, so that you will be awake when the sun rises. We've got to be awake. We can't sleepwalk through our lives. We have to pay attention if we're going to see what God is doing. This passage from Genesis says Abraham was awake and watching and waiting. And when he saw someone coming, he sprang into action and ran out to greet them. Are you ready? Are you ready to have that kind of greeting 
for someone else? Secondly, and maybe even more surprising than that first part, is that Genesis tells us what happens when the strangers have been welcomed. So Abraham was there waiting, paying attention. Then he runs out to greet them. He invites them on up to his place. Then he says, let me get some water and some food. He runs and tells Sarah, chop, chop, we've got to get some bed breaking. He runs to his servant, we've got to get some food we've got to have some meat here he gathers all that together and when it's all prepared he takes it to them and serves them and then genesis says he stands close by while they're eating and then it goes into this conversation where they ask him about his wife and where is this wife and he's oh she's there in the tent and then the strangers make a surprising if not stunning pronouncement about what's getting ready to happen. They say that Sarah is going to bear a son. Now we know if we've read earlier parts of Genesis that uh, that God has promised to Abraham and Sarah that they will have a son. In fact, they will have descendants that will bless the entire world. There will be so many of them. But it's been a long time since they heard that promise. So much time had passed by that they had grown old. The narrator of this passage makes that clear in verse 11. They write, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was long past her childbearing years. It had been a long time. Since God had promised that this would happen and it just has not happened and she thinks it's too late. That the time has passed, that the window of opportunity is closed. And then this stranger says, you're going to bear a son. In fact, in the next year, in due season, by the time I come back, you all will have a son. And the stranger speaks as if it's a certainty. As if He is sure this is what's going to happen. And then it says Sarah laughs. I wonder if she's just laughing because she's so nervous. Or if maybe there's still that hope within her. Maybe she's still holding on to the dream of motherhood. And when she hears the stranger speak, that's roused within her. Could it be true? And surely Abraham must be thinking the same. Could this stranger know something I don't know? Could this really be true? Might this really happen at our advanced age? We are so old. They've almost given up this promise of God in their lives. And then these strangers come and there's this surprising twist of events. And it is all turned around and the strangers are the ones offering fresh hope and renewal of possibilities. Oh, at first Abraham and Sarah are the ones who make the offer to these people traveling in the desert to refresh them and renew them. But before the story is over, it's the strangers that are offering fresh hope and renewal of possibilities for Abraham and Sarah. Are you ready to see God working in strangers? 
I find myself a little suspicious of strangers, particularly if they look different or they dress differently enough. I find myself being a little wary. I'm surely not looking for God to speak to them through, speak to me through them. Yet one of our members told me this story just a couple of weeks ago. One of the older people in our congregation had been in a meeting in the middle of the afternoon, a hot summer day. This person doesn't drive that much after dark anymore. They needed a few items. They gauged the time of day and thought, I have time to stop at Walmart and grab a few items and still be home before dark. So they do so, park in the parking lot, run in, find all the items they need, make that purchase. And on the way out, they notice another person walking uncomfortably close to them, sort of right behind them. They glance, he glances that way. He sees a guy who's a little bit dirty and clothes are a little bit tattered. He's just a little too close. It makes him a little nervous. He has his keys ready. He's going straight to his car. When he gets there, he opens the door, jumps in, closes the door, locks it, puts the key in the ignition, turns it to start, and it turns over, but it does not start. He tries again. It turns over, but it does not ignite. Emotions begin to stir. Questions begin to strike his brain. What's he going to do now? Too hot, too far to walk home. He calls both of his sons, neither answer. He tries again. It still does not start. More emotion stirring within him. And then out of the corner of his eye, as he's trying once again to get that engine to start, he sees the guy that was walking close to him coming back toward his car. Sees that scruffy-looking guy walking right toward him. His adrenaline spikes again. And then just as the fellow gets up to the car, he gives a friendly wave and says loud enough that the fellow can hear through the window, I have jumper cables in my truck. Would you like me to give you a jump? And the person told me, at that point, he felt like this fellow all of a sudden was an answer to an unuttered prayer. Turns out, the guy knows his way around a car engine. He grabs the cables, pops the hood, makes the jump, gets the car starting, and the person is on their way again. But he confided in me that he was a little ashamed at the way he had thought about that person because of the way his hair looked and the way he had dressed. Felt like maybe he had rushed to judgment. And that, in fact, in that stranger, and he was still a stranger, he still found the solution. He was the answer to his prayer. He was the solution to his problem. And this most unlikely fellow, he thought, really was the answer that he needed at that time and in that place. How do you think about strangers? The third insight here, maybe even more radical than the others, is that Genesis says it was God. It was God coming to Abraham and Sarah in the guise of a stranger. Did you hear that in verse 1? Verse 1 sort of a preface to this whole story. The Lord appeared to Abraham. That's how the story starts. The Lord appeared to Abraham. 
And then did you hear this over in verse 13? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And then the Lord says this in verse 14. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? In another place in Scripture it says, is anything impossible for God? Do you expect God to do wonderful things in your life? Especially when things are going downhill, when you feel like they're not going the way you want them to go? Are you expecting the Lord to do something wonderful in your life? Can God work in surprising ways in our lives? Maybe you've experienced this, where something that you thought was impossible, or maybe improbable, something maybe that you had desired and hoped for, maybe even worked for, and it just wasn't coming together. It began to appear that it was not going to come to fruition. And then just about the time you gave up hope, or maybe after you had given up hope, a set of circumstances, a twist in the events, and all of a sudden what you had hoped for was being offered to you. And everything came together just as you had imagined, or maybe even better than you had imagined. Have you ever had that experience? I talk to lots of people week to week. They often tell me just such a story, that they didn't always see it in the experience, but in hindsight, they had this terrible experience or this sequence of events, and then something all of a sudden changed and they felt like God was at work in their lives in a fresh and new way. Do you expect God to work in your life? Are you looking for God to be present? Maybe in an unexpected way, maybe in a stranger, maybe in a way that you had not thought of, and yet at work in your life, nonetheless... Genesis reminds us that it might just be the Lord at work in your life. In those kind of circumstances, it might just be God at work in your life for good. That brings us to our final point, which is a theological one. It is that people of faith realize that to experience God in the guise of a stranger requires that we trust in the Lord. So often we're evaluating and judging other people, but what Genesis is reminding us is that we're not trusting in the other person so much as we're trusting in God. That our eyes are to be looking to God. That rather than being focused on the circumstances or the people, we should be looking to God. We should be trusting in the Lord to be at work in this place, to show us the way, to help us in our time of need, to bring us hope and fresh possibilities. Are you ready to trust in God like that? Are you ready for God to work in your life in an unexpected way? Are you ready to believe that God really can work through anybody, anytime, anywhere? So often we sort of box God in. And we want God to work just the way we have thought that life should work out. But Genesis reminds us that God is bigger than that. 
Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? If you begin to think that maybe it's not, maybe God is at work in unexpected and wonderful ways, then I think you're going to begin to experience some fresh hope and a renewal of possibilities or seeing new possibilities in your own life. May it be so for each and every one of us.